see you all this morning. Um, and yeah, really looking forward to actually being together finally in person next week on Easter Sunday, if you can make that. Um, it'll also be just good to gather together online on Good Friday, uh, just remembering the cross, remembering the sacrifice. And uh, yeah, just really looking forward to celebrating that. Also, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to tomorrow, where there's a, a change in some of the um, legislation where we can actually start to meet with other people. Um, so we can meet with up to groups of six or two households. Uh, we're really looking forward in my household to being with other people. So if you can start to do that outside, um, really encourage you to start to meet with other people if you can in a safe way, of course. Now, we've had a couple of weeks break from the uh, Gospel of Luke where we've had Dale and Paul come and speak to us over the last couple of weeks. I hope you found that a real blessing. And um, I know that I have, and it's been great to have them with us, uh, just the New Ground family coming to help and bless us as a church. But today we're going to go back to Luke. We're back in Luke 18. And um, what we're going to be looking at today also uh, appears in Mark 10 and Matthew 19, verses 13 to 30. And what we're looking at today is a continuation of the theme that Jesus is talking about, the kingdom. It's about the nature of the kingdom and entry into it. Previously in chapter 17, and at the beginning of chapter 18, um, was, Jesus was speaking about the coming kingdom and to be expectant of the fully inaugurated kingdom with Jesus' return. About humility was required to enter into the kingdom with the tax collector. And uh, Jesus is continuing the theme in what we're reading today. So let's jump right in. If you've got uh, one of these, an old-fashioned Bible, leather bound, why don't you grab that? Or you can look on the tablet or your phone to read. And we're going to go from Luke 18 verse 15. We're going to go all the way to verse 30 today, but we're just going to read the first chunk today from um, to start with from verse 15 to 17. Um, so let's go from verse 15. It says, now they were bringing even infants to him, that's Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him with them. Um, but Jesus called to them, and saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Here Jesus straight away is calling out the disciples not to be like the Pharisee in the previous verses that we'd looked at a couple of weeks ago not to display an attitude towards children or women or crowds and push them away. Jesus highlights that the weaker and the meeker inherit the kingdom of God and enter into it. Children don't let pride get in the way when they need help. They have complete trust in good relationships with parents. I've got a, a six-year-old daughter, and when she's on the stairs, she has complete trust in me if I'm at the bottom because she literally just throws herself at me, and I most of the time catch her. And we see people bringing their children and babies to, to Jesus for him to bless them, for him to lay hands on them, and the disciples are trying to send them away. They're thinking, well, Jesus is too busy or important. But Jesus surprises them. He says, don't send them away. Become like them. Children have nothing but love and trust to bring. No achievements, no works, righteousness to bring. And it's those type of people with that attitude that enter into the kingdom. Like the tax collector who said, God, be merciful to me, 
a sinner. And the picture is here that we must trust God with simple faith and humility of a dependent child. And understanding ourselves as objects of mercy is so helpful because it breeds compassion. As we don't rate ourselves too highly or suggest that God is blessed to have us, the privilege is all ours to know him. Jesus honours people regardless of social status, which is, can be the opposite of what we do. We're drawn to the powerful, God is drawn to the humble. To, to come to Jesus, to become a Christian in the first place, is to humble yourself. And to come to Christ with repentance and faith. I, just on this, I would touch on how Jesus welcomed children, that children are such an important part of church life. I've often been surprised in the past when we've done sort of family services or songs or things that would engage young people. It's important that we really engage with the children, with the youth. And the attitude sometimes can be that that's not really for me or people might not even come to a Sunday if they know that's the sort of thing that's happening. It might be leaning towards the younger members of the church family. Youth and children are the future of the church. And if, if it's those sorts of things that create a reaction in you, different songs or services, just suggest a humility to humble yourself. Even check your own maturity before God, because it's not always about your needs and fulfillments, but discipling others. That's what the kingdom is about. The other thing we learn from scripture is that God works is that God works in children and often calls them to himself. Even in their formative years, it's, it's a great mistake to consider that we can only really help children to understand the Christian faith as they grow up, as they move towards adulthood. It's much better to impart that faith to children at all ages. We shouldn't underestimate the power of God to work in their hearts and minds, even from a young age. It's never too young to start. We've been reading Bible stories to our kids since they were babies. Now they're a bit older, we talk to them about deeper things, explaining what the gospel is. At breakfast or dinner or bedtimes are often good times to talk to kids about these things. Never underestimate what your kids can understand. We always try to stretch our kids. One of the things I've been really grateful of over lockdown is that we've had more time at breakfast. We have these porridge times in the morning where I make porridge in the pan for all the kids and we sit around eating porridge talking about what I've read that morning or we'll talk about a particular topic like we went through the Lord's Prayer a few weeks back and then we all went around learning it and praying it and want, trying to understand what each bit of the Lord's Prayer meant. We all play our part as well in the growth and development of church kids. Ask them how they're doing. Now, it's, it's a bit different at the moment because we're not together, but one day we will be, please God, we will be back together and we try and engage and ask children, ask the youth, engage in conversation with them. How are they doing? That's really important. I think it's always been important to Gemma and I about trying to engage with the younger members of the church. It's great to see um, Eleanor leading worship this morning. Um, that thrills me to see young people leading worship in church. So can I encourage you, when you see children from the church or youth from the church, engage with them. It's your, our job as a family to disciple them through. 
One of the most striking things as well about the New Testament is repeatedly about how our relationship with God is described as the relationship between a children and a father, our heavenly father. It's really striking. It bears that we're saying we're learning from children. It's ordinary human relationships. Two examples, two very striking examples. Uh, John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, or husband's will, but children born of God. So Christians can truly say that we are children of God, that a spiritual re birth has taken place in us rather like the physical birth something has happened inside us which establishes our relationship with God as a relationship between a father and his children and so Christians can truly say we are children of God a spiritual rebirth taking place Galatians 4 6 to 7 says because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba father So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So we wonderfully get to call God our father and we are his children. To understand this is to understand the kingdom entry, the upside down kingdom. To be born again, we need to be like children. And moving into the next passage, we get to understand even further what is required to enter into the kingdom. What sort of kingdom value is when Jesus is approached by this young man as he's described in Mark and Matthew. He asks this very adult Jewish question and Jesus addresses him and deals with his response, all of which is linked with this previous story of the children. Let's read from verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me and when he heard these things he became very sad for he was extremely rich jesus seeing that he had become sad said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of god for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of god those who heard it said then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So the question the man asks is revealing. We might think on the surface that he's seeking God, but let's look closely at what he says. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Firstly, he comes to, to flatter by calling Jesus good teacher. We think, well, that's, that's a good start. And this is often what we come up against when we talk to people who don't believe in Jesus. He's a good teacher or a moral guide. Straight away, Jesus makes the man think and says, why do you call me good? In Mark and Matthew, the gospel, in, in their Gospels, it says, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And what we see here is a parallel between this and the previous the parallel between this and the previous parable, too many P's there, um, the, between the Pharisee and the tax collector. The children in the previous verse are like the tax collector and, and, and the ruler, as we know it from uh, Matthew and Mark, the rich young ruler, is the Pharisee. He's like the Pharisee trying to earn his justification, his salvation, and his eternal life from God. Jesus points out the only person who, is tr who truly is good is God. So Jesus is either who he claims to be, he's Yahweh in the flesh, or he's a bad teacher, falsely claiming to be. So the decision that we're all faced with when we meet Jesus is he is either who he said he was, the Son of God and our Saviour, or he was not. Jesus asks the man if he kept the commandments, which he replies to, yeah, I've kept all of these from my youth. But Jesus really knows what the man's wealth is keeping him from the two greatest commandments. One, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And two, to love neighbor as yourself. The man's wealth was getting in the way of his salvation. It's where he was finding his security. So Jesus says, one thing you still lack. Sell all you've got, distribute it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. This would have shocked the audience. For us, it, it's not as shocking because we know how the story ends. We know these stories, but for them, it would have been shocking. And the man asks this legitimate question because he's seeking something, but he eventually goes away sad or grieved is actually a better interpretation. He's ascended to a high place in life, but he still lacks something and he knows it. And we too, in current times, can find success, do well in careers or relationships. But like this man, when we meet the real Jesus, we can be disturbed or grieved because of what he asks of us. When we meet the real God in the person of Jesus, we hear the real message of Jesus. It's shocking. When you come up against the true, real message of the gospel, it demands more than you've ever realized, and it requires more than you ever thought. But... It also offers more than you could ever dream of. Whether you've been a Christian for a, a few weeks, like the, the people who've recently committed to Christ on Alpha, or you've been a Christian for years, you have a growing realization of this. You know more and more that it's less about you and more about him. You realize the more Christ-focused you are, the more you thrive, the more you reign in life and in Christ. You realize he wants all of you, even the bits you want to hide under the stairs. When you realize these things, there are often two responses, as we often see in Scripture. You either bow down and worship, or you go away offended. What you can't do is meet the real Jesus and go away and be indifferent about him. If you think Christianity is just a nice add-on to your life, or it's just a nice moral code, then you haven't met the real Jesus. He's coming at Christ, as many do today, or try to come to Christianity as it's something they can add on to their life and make it better, some sort of vitamin supplement. 
He's asking here, what can I do to save myself? What religious duty, what sacred pilgrimage, what large check do I write to earn my salvation? He wants to add this to his CV to earn his salvation to his other achievements. He's actually coming with arrogance, with his hands full of his own achievements and asking Jesus, what can he do to show how amazing he is? Jesus starts by asking him about the commandments. He runs through some of the 16, 613 commandments that are all summed up in the book of Exodus and what you might know as the 10 commandments. You might have heard them. What the, the man says, he's done all of them. And Jesus really gets to the heart and says, what about the first one? This is what he's trying to get at with his response. And what's the first? We've already touched on it. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and have no other God before me. If you can do that, Jesus says, do this. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. If God is first in your life, then everything else is completely trivial. He goes straight to the heart of our securities or our idols, not holding on tight to money or possession. Jesus asks, not holding on too tight? We'll sell everything. How are you doing? If God is first and foremost important in our life, then everything else should pale into insignificance. Jesus really hones in on the man and on us, whether we really do want to put him first or whether we're really attached to our earthly things. You might think, well, I'm not materialistic. I don't have lots of money. I don't particularly want to hold on to that. Well, how do you feel if God asks you to leave something behind? Or if your family rejects you because of your faith? If he says, I want you to not take that promotion because I want you to take more time to care and to disciple this group of people. Jesus gets to the heart of every human and he's saying there is nothing you can do to earn this. There is no good you can do. And it doesn't matter if you're nice or nasty, moral or immoral. Jesus says you can only come to God on a totally different basis, not on your efforts, but on mine. That's what Jesus is saying. And when the call comes, Jesus says, sell it, follow me. And the man goes away sad because his real God is his possessions. His real security is his wealth. Where's your security? Where are you if Jesus says to you, I want you to give up this thing or this person or this relationship because I say so, because I am your God. How do you respond to that? See, Jesus sees the man's response and says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's such a barrier that it stopped the man from entering in and that's why wealth can be so dangerous. It, it can make you comfortable and less dependent. All of a sudden, the narrow path, which not many pass through, becomes a microscopic hole to pass through. Men have even tried to reason about this verse over time, theologically, saying that Jesus was referring to a gate in the city of Jerusalem, saying it was the, called the eye of the needle. And that if man could humble himself enough and get low enough on their knees, like a camel could get on its knees and go through this gate, and they could squeeze through. 
But what that's trying to do is bring evidence from outside of the New Testament and tell us what the text means. But what is important here is context. Because if we keep reading, it says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So whether there was a gate or not, and there actually isn't lots of convincing evidence that there was, the context is God is making the impossible possible. Not man making it possible by shedding enough stuff to, to squeeze through into life by get, or getting on your knees. No, the only way man can be saved is because God has made a way. We can't earn our salvation. We can't even get close to God's holiness. The man was in bondage to his money. He was controlled by it. But God can overcome that if they submit, if he submits, if we submit. When Mark tells the story in the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus looked at the man and loved him. Jesus knew what this man needed. He knew what he needed the most, and he was dealing with his deepest heart issue. Jesus always deals with eventually what is underneath everything. There's a power struggle between you and him. Whether you will really let him be Lord of your life. Is he really Lord? Sure, you believe in him. Yeah, you believe he rose again. Great. But is he Lord of your life? Have you or will you submit all of your hopes and dreams to him, your purpose, your direction, everything. Whether it's possessions like today, in, in, with the man in today's verses, or the job promotion, or the house, or the comfort, or the family. The most radical thing God's asked us to do as a family is to move twice. And both times it came at a cost. We moved from Seven Oaks to Bury St. Edmunds, and we left friends behind. Um, and then we moved back to, from Bury to back to Seven Oaks, which took us totally by surprise. But we left behind friends that we made for life. And it came at a cost. We left good schools. We left a house that we basically rebuilt, a business that was finally doing well after four years of struggle, a church that we had great plans for. And sometimes it still hurts when we consider it when we think about it but ultimately we live for God and God alone and if he calls we follow and in the process of all of that he dealt with stuff in our hearts that we held on to I told this story before about when Gemma was running once just after we'd moved and we were still you know really excited about what God was calling us to but also still dealing with the the um the pain of leaving stuff behind and God spoke and said, you've given your heart to a place and not to me. And God comes down and deals with the deepest desires of our hearts. He came down to Abraham and says, give me your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him up as a burnt offering. He comes down to the rich man and says, give away your wealth. What is he doing? He's dealing with your dreams and he's asking you to surrender the most important thing in your life. He says, give me that thing that you think will bring you joy and life without God. And until you surrender that, you don't realize it, but it is killing you. And until you do that, you will always wrestle with God. So are you willing to be without, without 
money, relationship, career or success. Only when you let God guide your entire life will you truly find peace. Only then will you see that Jesus is the true treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven is enough. Jesus is enough. He might call you to surrender things in this life, but earthly pleasures are passing. And treasure in heaven is eternal. And what a moment that we are in too, to find and trust in nothing else but Jesus, the true treasure. In a time when we can only have a small degree of certainty, we never really know what's around the corner at the moment. In this, if this last year has taught us anything, it is that there are so many things we cannot lean on or depend on. Health can get taken away. Relationships can get taken away. Jobs can get taken away. Safety, only by selling out completely for Jesus, saying, take my dreams and everything and trust him where you know safety and peace in the midst of everything. This too is what the world is looking for, a certainty where we know that if we have Jesus, we know that we have true wealth. So we are surrounded by wealth in Seven Oaks. But we have permanent wealth and riches that moth and rust will not destroy. All of the Range Rovers that you see driving around in Seven Oaks will be eaten up by rust one day. But this wealth that we have will never waste away. Depend on him for your record before God. Then you will be free from worry, free from fear that it might get taken away. Whether you, so you, whenever, whatever you may surrender in this life, you, might re, you will receive many times in the next. And this is what Jesus highlights at the end. He says, if you leave your home, you will receive an abiding place above forever. If you leave father, you have an ultimate father in heaven. If you forsake siblings, Christ shall take you as a brother Riches in heaven that last forever. The true treasure, Jesus. Only when your identity is found in him, rather than other things, will you find true, lasting joy and peace. Whether the other things get taken away. If you take your identity in other things, if they get taken away, your identity crashes. If your identity is in that career or that relationship, if those things get taken away, things crash. Only when your identity is found in him and other things, you will find true, lasting joy and peace. But when it is found in the one who has made it possible to enter into eternity in the first place, will you know rest? Life can be difficult, but the gifts we experience in the present, even now from Christ, as he says at the end, freedom from slavery to sin, Membership to the family of God, fellowship to the people of God. It far outweighs the benefits by those who cling to their possessions and rebellion against God. Leaving all we have to follow the one who gives us everything offers more blessing, not only in the next life, but also in this one. Jesus paid the price for you. He died on the cross so that you may know life. He took your sin and shame and death and dealt with it once and for all so you can come to him. There might be people who are watching either now or later on been struggling to surrender things to him for years, whether it is your 
kids or a life of comfort or a need for approval. Just felt God would, spoke to me as I was preparing that this is that this now is a surrender moment. That I'm going to pray right now and we are going to surrender things to Christ. And we are going to make him the Lord of our life. We're not just going to believe in things, but we're going to make him Lord. And say, guide me, direct me, wherever you call me to go, I will follow. If you call me to give things away, I will follow. What is it this morning that he's calling you to surrender? Why don't you just close your eyes with me? And I'm just going to ask God now to come and speak to us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us so that we may enter into eternal life. Lord, I want to pray now. Will you come and speak to us? Come and speak to myself. Come and speak to my friends watching. Say, Lord, what is it that you are calling us to surrender today that's preventing us, Lord, from knowing all of that you have for us, all the blessings in God, Lord? We don't want to be like the rich young ruler. We don't want to go away sad or grieving because we can't let go of things. Come and be Lord in our lives. Father, we hand over those things to you that are difficult to let go of. And we want to trust completely in you, that you are the Lord of our life. Thank you, Jesus. We surrender to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Holy Spirit, will you come and speak now into the hearts of your Saints, come and speak. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. If uh, there's anything particular you would uh, like to pray about, I'm sure um, you can do that. We've got prayer rooms and stuff off. I'm going to pass over to Paul in a minute. Um, but if you're watching as well this morning and actually you've never given your life to Christ, then you can do that. And it's very simple. He wants to be Lord of your life. He loves you. He died on the cross so that you can know God. And we can just do that by saying simple, three simple things. Sorry, thank you, please. And that is sorry for living my own life, for turning my back on you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. And please come now and take first place in my life and fill me with your spirit to help me follow you. You can say those three things. And you can rejoice as they will rejoice in heaven because you have become a child of God. And if you've done that, then we'd love to hear from you. You can contact uh, me on my email address, ian at hopechurch7oaks.org, um, or send us a message on the chat um, or contact us through social media. We'd love to hear from you. Um, thanks for joining us all this morning.